0: Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Changing the Climate, a show where we talk about the changing world around us and how we can make it better. Brought to you by Climate Change Realty. The only real estate brokerage that donates 50% of its net commissions to 501c3 nonprofit organizations dedicated to fighting climate change. So Gwen, nice to meet you. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. I, I really appreciate it.
1: Nice to meet you too, Ethan. Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: An absolute pleasure. And of course, we always love to get the podcast started with a little bit of background on who you are and how you got to be doing what you're doing at the moment.
1: Sure. So uh, my name is Gwena Elquat, so it's not very easy to pronounce, so that's why I'm going with Gwen. I'm the uh, new scientific director at the Sea Cleaners, which is a nonprofit who's uh, fighting against plastic pollution in the marine um, systems. hmm uh, you want more
0: <laughs> I want more yeah well, what's the origin story
1: so the origin of the story is that uh, our founder um, his name is Yvan Bourgnon and he's um, he's a sailor uh, you know in those um, catamarans sailing for a competition stuff and uh, when he was a, a kid he went over all over the world I think it was for four years with his uh, parents so he was quite lucky with that and um he really got touched by um, the ocean, of course, and marine life and everything. And that's one part of the reasons why he became a, a sailor in the end. And um, later on, like a lot of years after, he did a, a, um, around a, an around the, the globe um, sailing competition as well, and uh, on, all by himself on a, on a small catamaran. And he spent so much of his time stopped by plastic debris, marine debris, and uh, he had to repair his boat so many times. And and he he was like, something needs to be done. And so he started to think about it. And um, he wanted to collect the marine debris and uh, do something with it. And so then he created this uh, association, called uh, the Sea Cleaners. And um, in 2016, end of 2016, and since then it grew to over around 30 people. And we are all uh, looking at what to be done um, with this plastic uh, into the ocean, but not only because since then the idea evolved quite a lot. And so it's not only collecting the plastics into the ocean, but also working with people in land and industries as well so that uh, something so that we can look into kind of all the supply chain and uh, behavioral um, uh, actions and things that people can do so that we can one day hope uh, to reduce that plastic flow into our oceans.
0: Yeah, no, we're definitely going to do it. And I, I appreciate what you're doing. And you're the, the scientific director, is that right?
1: I'm the scientific director, yeah. And I joined in May this year.
0: Very good. Well, glad to have you. Did you do like a, a PhD program or something in like ocean science? So,
1: yeah, a long time ago, you can see all my gray hair. Um, <laughs> I started a PhD program, but um, so I, I studied first oceanography Uh, But uh, interestingly enough, I studied seaweed. And uh, yes, and then I uh, started a PhD. But So in France, the PhD is a three-year process. And um, I did two out of three, and I called it a day. Fair enough. (laughs) And (laughs) it was not for me, apparently. And so then uh, what happened is that um, I went into... Um, scientific communication, uh, that uh, a master's degree that I did in uh, Strasbourg. And then um, I had an opportunity to go to the United States. And so after two years and a half, maybe working into scientific communication, I came to the U.S. for 18 years. Wow. Uh, since my uh, English was not the best at first, uh, scientific communication was not really what I could find as work, <laughs> and so um, I did some logistics and things like that for a company called, well, no, a nonprofit called the Society for Conservation Biology. I was their uh, annual meeting coordinator, so I was working with uh, conservationists and uh, practitioners all over the the world uh, to put uh, conventions together so that they could um, talk about everything conservation. And um, that was really interesting. But unfortunately, as we all know, what happened in 2008, um, and you all know, and especially you, since you're a realtor, uh, right. the the housing bubble kind of um, really hit the U.S. pretty hard and hit the Society for Conservation Biology hard as well. So um, then what I did, I reinvented myself again. I started working for AAAS, the American Association for the Advancement of Science. And um, I worked into uh, a topic called um, biosecurity and uh, that has to see with... um, uh, Really looking at all of the um, uh, laboratories around the world, and um, especially for me, uh, the uh, Muslim majority countries. Um, so I started working from um, Morocco all the way to Afghanistan, Pakistan, um, and uh, putting meetings together so that we could um, talk about ethics and biosecurity and biosafety of uh, all, everything from, starting from the pathogens into the labs, to the, the faculty, students, workers, everyone, so that we could do something about um, making sure that those pathogens wouldn't end up in the wrong hands. Um, and then sure. the, And then nature did that for us <laughs> in 2020, as we all know. So I've and, heard, yeah. Um, <laughs> And so then after that, um, I left. The, I left the US, unfortunately, because oh, wow. I was like, it's about time to go home. Um, <laughs> I couldn't really stay in, in, you know, all that jazz, personally. And so I came back to France, and I uh, was lucky enough to go back to my first love, which is the ocean, and work Very for cool. against plastic pollution.
0: You didn't want. You didn't want to hang out and get join all the riots. <laughs> hey, what no,
1: I, thank you
0: <laughs> yeah what i do want to ask you before we move into talking about the ocean and plastic pollution is sounds like you've spent about half of your life in europe and half your life in, in the u.s i'm curious what your perspective is on the differences in culture between specifically when it comes to respecting scientific literature in, in america versus uh back in europe or around the world in general
1: well i guess it depends who you're talking to right sure. so some people really do respect science and uh, everything science and uh, maybe sometimes it's becoming a religion as well and other times it's like anything science and you're the devil (laughs) and um so and you know i was in washington dc so it's very wonky over there right so uh it's it's a different culture as well So, um, for me, as a scientist, uh, of course science is very important and inform everything we should do and how and why. Um, In France, you know, we have our issues too. With the pandemic, a lot of people don't want to get vaccinated either. And so, Hmm. you know, the world is changing and I think that's become, because of all of the misinformation that is uh, coming from everywhere. And so people are maybe, uh, starting to be to, too much um introverts and introspective and don't want anything with the outside world which is really a problem for collaboration cooperation and really Sad. tackling everything that we need to tackle to to be better with uh, the round around us
0: we're going to fix it Gwen. We're going to, we're going to get some collaboration going. There are some really okay. amazing programs and people that are working on fixing this issue. Um, it's all about tackling large corporate institutions that not ne- don't necessarily have their ideals aligned with the good of humanity, which is why I really try and promote nonprofit organizations or for-profit organizations or individuals who are promoting ideals about creating a system that is, um, at the forefront of benefiting, not just humanity, but, um, just all life in general. You know, I'm all about the whole regeneration thing. Um, so so what I wanted to talk about to begin this conversation is, um, can we recycle plastic? Because I think a lot of people think that you just toss your plastic into the recycling bin and then it gets remade into another piece of plastic. But what I understand is that's not the case. And something very interesting that I found out last, just last week, and I'm, I'm always, I'm deeply involved in all this stuff. And just last week, you know, the recycling symbol in the U.S. is yeah. those three arrows. And yeah. the, the, the plastic industry created this symbol with thinner arrows with numbers in the middle. So I've always thought that these symbols on the plastic bottles were the recycling symbol, but they're not. It's like a sorting sorting symbols so there's some like you said like I, I don't want to call that misinformation but it's definitely deceptive advertising so can you speak a bit to how much we can reuse plastic
1: yeah so that's that's very true what you just said and um actually for those the, the people who listen to npr I was just listening to that again this morning for this podcast to refresh my my mind. I think it's Planet Money. Uh, They did something really good uh, in 2020, September 11th, actually. And uh, for everyone who wants to to listen to that, that's great. Um, So yeah, the problem is that exactly, from the very beginning of when plastic was invented and until now only 10% was recycled. And so now the the recycling bin I'm calling I'm calling that the magic bin <laughs> <laughs> because you know people yeah that's what you know and that's what everybody told people is that you just recycle and don't worry we'll take care of it. And those those symbols as you said is just to sort but sorting is actually a very big issue because A lot of plastic uh, has been, um, um, there's been some integration with additives and other materials. And also, uh, as we all know, if food has touched the plastic often, we cannot recycle it. So why is that? It's because of all of the problem with infrastructure behind. So the only thing that is really easily recycled is, a uh, bottle of water, for example. Um, so the, it's the PET. And um, so why is a bottle of water easy to recycle? It's because actually the industries thought about it very well. And everything is regulated on from the get go for um, how to recycle in the end that's PET. And why? Because that um, virgin plastic has value and can be recycled because it has been thought about. So not only the additives, they know what additives is, com- is going in, then the, the label around the bottle needs to be a certain kind, the glue needs to be a certain kind, a kind everything so that then in the supply chain, in the recycling chain, everything is uh, easily done. They don't lose money because everything is about money in the end, of course. And so that's the issue. Why? Why isn't it um, thought about for every plastic that we use? Because it's cheap. So then, you know, you just produce plastic and then They tell you we can recycle it, but a lot of it is burned or uh, put into landfill. So it's really a waste of energy in the end, uh, which is really shameful because we do need energy in our life because we consume so much. (laughs) And uh, so if we could think about and really regulate how plastic is made for what, and really basically go back to what plastic was intended for uh, at the when it was created it was a noble uh, material it was to replace ivory the very first first plastic because they didn't want to use it from elephants or else and so why not try to really look into it so that it could be recycled in the end and uh, do really do work on the infrastructure as well but not everybody can afford that either
0: sure Uh, ivory like for pianos like what what else was that used for
1: yeah actually it was for the the billiards the ball the the oh Yeah. yeah and so um they there was a push at some point they wanted to have something else because they thought that um we shouldn't use ivory anymore and so they uh, it was bakelite i think they called it and so that's how plastic was that as an industrial material that's how it was created
0: yeah very interesting well there's no doubt it's an essential part of the way we live our lives now but there are certain things that can change like for example i've got the headphones in my ears right now that are made out of plastic um, but that, that figure that only 10% has been recycled is very startling. And I find it interesting that, um, you say water bottles are one of the best things to be recycled. Cause that's like one of the main things that people replace. So it's like, they're still using all of the bad stuff. Can you, um, speak to some of the major health issues and risks associated with producing all this plastic and releasing it, either burning it or putting it into, I mean, where is it going?
1: <laughs> so the problem with plastic and health, it's again, w- what are we talking about, Who, who's health, right? And so if we talk about the ecosystems and so what is a healthy ecosystem, it's uh, some, something that works really well. And so we all know right now that uh, our oceans are suffering. Um, and which is really, really bad because our ocean is really uh, essential for us to have a, um, a good, you know, uh, earth balance because it, it regulates so many things. And so um, we dump our plastic into the ocean, sometimes intentionally, sometimes not. For example, earlier this year, there was a strike in Marseille, a city south of France. And um, a strike for waste management, and so it happens, right? New York knows it very well as well. And um, but what happened is that a very very big storm. I think it's like in 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 a few hours they had two months of rain or something like that. I don't really remember the the, the number, but so all of that. Um, running water came rushing down the water basin and pushed all of that trash into the ocean. It was disgusting. And so, so this is what happens: a lot of our plastic uh, ends up into the ocean, and um, we also saw, saw those um, images of um, the turtles entangled in plastic, or um, all of those birds, the albatrosses, with all of the plastic in their stomachs, just uh, dead on the beach, or um, whales again yeah, yeah, at. at also entangled with um, ghost nests that have been dumped or lost by fishermen. And so those are really something, those issues are in your face and you see it and um, contributes to um, a a non-healthy environment because the wildlife is suffering and dying. There's also the plastic itself when, with the waves, the UVs and um, a lot of other mechanisms uh, start to break and, um, and then that can also have, um, how do you say that, can uh, wound the, the fishermen, right? On the boat oh, really? because- yeah it's it in in the you when, when they when they gather um you know everything that they caught they can they can cut themselves with a sharp litter and 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 what else for maritime workers so that's something that affects us but it continues to affect the ecosystems because the So I told you about the bigger pieces, right, for the bigger um, uh, wildlife, but the more plastic degrades and turn into uh, smaller pieces, then microplastics and then even nanoplastic, then it it gets integrated, ingested into the um, the um, other wildlife like zooplankton and uh, as well as uh, phytoplankton. And so that's destroying the ecosystem as well, because it's um, they die because of that potentially not really because of uh, the plastic itself, because often it just, you know, pass through their uh, digestive system for the zooplankton. but it has been shown that um, plastic is really good at um, um, attracting um, toxins and pathogens,
0: Great. and
1: bacteria and viruses. And so then the more you ingest those, the more you have pathogens and viruses and toxin that accumulates into your organism. And so, and then it hasn't really been shown that it goes up the chain. Um, but, you know, a lot of studies uh, need to still happen because it's a, it's kind of a new science. And so that's why, uh, you know, we cannot have really conclusive. Um, I cannot tell you, yes, plastic is killing us. <laughs> right. We don't really know. We know that it's there. Not only it's in our environment because it's in, in our um, marine ecosystem, but it's also in our uh, water bottles because it's in our water. Mm-hmm. So it's in a uh, fresh water as well. And we inhale it as well because the microplastics get, uh, you know, it's all around us, um, not in very high concentration, but we do uh, inhale plastic. It has been, so microplastic has been found Uh, at the top of Mount Everest, to the very bottom of, uh, you know, the Marian. uh, Yeah, so it's everywhere. The biological impacts are here, but mostly because of, you know, physical damage and entanglement and uh, sharp uh, sharp cuts and things like that. But another thing that um, we don't think about often is, it also, um, for us, for some of us, it affects our mental health because we see trash everywhere all the time.
0: Yeah.
1: And we see that, you know, we see those those images as well. And so, um, and, and our beaches, as you know, some people clean their beaches all the time, and then, you know, it's back the next day. Um, and for me, I'm, I'm lucky, I, I live in Brittany right now. So, you know, with the, I, I find uh, some pieces of plastic here and there, it's fairly pristine, because there is that collect uh, you know, collection of uh, waste that is really good, good in France. So there we have a, a good infrastructure, but not all of the uh, countries can say that. And so it's everywhere. Of course, those people also often, they have other things to think about than looking at trash around them because they need to, what they're really are looking into and what they they um, face every day is what am I going to eat the next day? Sure. But it still is there, right? It's right. Uh, and so it's, it's something that, it's really a problem that is, we have to face it, everywhere in what we ingest what we breathe what we see what we hear and so it's it's we have to face it and we need to do something about it but sometimes it's so overwhelming that we we just hide ourselves and we don't we can't really all alone it's something that we cannot do
0: Right. Yeah. I really appreciate you bringing up that mental health point. Cause I had never thought of that when I was, wa- when I was traveling around Europe, after I graduated from college, I remember seeing like trash on the ground and thinking it just makes you like depressed. So I had never even considered that. Also we've, we've said on this show before that, you know, we ingest around with all, you know, whether it's in the air, or in the water, or anything we ingest around three grams a year is estimated in plastic, which is about the size of a uh, credit card. So that's very interesting. Let's talk about um, how you guys are trying to fix the problem over at the sea cleaners. What kind of what is like the main project that you're working on at the moment?
1: So the main project is really um, collecting plastic waste, right? And uh, that will be done mainly with the Manta. And so the Manta is our flagship, And it's uh, a big catamaran that is going to be built uh, in
0: twenty twenty four. A big
1: what?
0: Catamaran, catamaran. A big what?
1: Catamaran, catamaran. You know, it's the you know we don't say that you.
0: Is that like a sailboat?
1: It's a sailboat. Yes. Okay. You don't say catamaran.
0: No. I'm not a big sailor. I used to, so I used to do <laughs> sailing at summer camp on the lake, and I always got like everyone else knew how to do it, and I didn't know how to do it.
1: Okay, yeah. I won't. I won't take that against you.
0: <laughs> no worries.
1: <laughs> so uh, I don't sail either. I just I kayak. Um, so Easy so we to. collect plastic. Yes, <laughs> uh, we collect plastic waste um, with that uh, big boat right so it's a sailboat Um, uh, we call it the manta because it's uh, bio inspired and so we say that the the boat eats the the plastic right so it's get collected in between those two floaters and get up the up the boat and then it's sorted there and then according to what um you know plastic is we put it back into pellets or not and then we bring it back to into the, uh, onto land or uh, potentially with our uh, waste to energy converting unit on board, we, we do um, convert some energy in there. So, um, but that's that's the big boat. And then um, on, the, on that big boat, there are also two little boats uh, that we call the mobulas. And um, basically it's, it's uh, meant for a continuum from uh, the river mouth and rivers or canals, mangroves, ports, and um, to uh, the the manta, which will be in still coastlines, but a little bit, of course, uh, further out in not in small, in um, not in, in, um, how would you say that, in shallow water. So we have those two boats that um, are meant to be able to go up the rivers and in between the lands there, to the mountains, so that we can actually really rehabilitate an entire ecosystem uh, there, and um, so that's there uh, for collecting plastic waste, those three boats, but not only because we also will use the manta and um, actions on land to educate and raise awareness to the public on uh, what is the problem and how can we reduce um, the, the issue of um, waste into the ocean. Um, and then also there are are going to be some um, scientific missions and uh, all of that uh, data that are going to be um, collected while we collect the plastic waste is going to be shared uh, to the community as open data and Finally, we want to, um, by working on land with um, the stakeholders that are into that uh, supply chain of plastic, one way or the other, um, we want to integrate the local circular economy, but not, well, with bringing solutions, but, you know, of course, it's by integrating it and not coming, you know, as colonizers, <laughs> and, sure. uh, but really talking uh, with locals to understand what the problem is, how can um, we with our um, vessels, the mobula, the two mobulas and uh, the manta, how we will um, be able to support what they want to do, uh, if they have a plan or work with them with a plan if they want to and of course also uh, work with the scientific community on the ground to collect um, samples and then study the plastic on site.
0: That's amazing. Um, where, where is there like a particular geographical area where you guys are thinking of implementing the project?
1: Yeah, so far, um, our goal is to go to Indonesia next year with the first boat that we built, the Mobula 8. So, yes, I didn't talk about there are the two boats. One is called the Mobula 8 because it's kind of eight meters long. And uh, the other one is called Mobula 10 because it's kind of 10 meters long. And right. um, the Mobula 8 is uh, built and done. And um we are looking right now at um you know shipping containers because it can be put onto a shipping container uh, into a container to be shipped to indonesia why indonesia because um unfortunately it's one of the countries where the pollution is the one of the most the, you know one of the major issues over there is uh, plastic pollution i've seen pollution.
0: it i've been there I've yeah. seen it
1: right? And so it affects so many things for them. Uh, it's, it was a pristine um, destination, Bali, everybody knows Bali. And fortunately, there's a, so much plastic every day uh, dumped into the ocean or on the streets everywhere. It's, it's so bad that um, the Indonesian government has, has decided to Uh, Their goal is by 2025 to reduce waste, any type of waste, by 75%. So that's a very ambitious goal. But, you know, the goal is there. And when we launched our boat, also the Mobula 8 in Paris last June, uh, we invited, of course, the many um, embassies and uh, a few countries um, uh, came to see us. Seeing, uh, saying that they were interested in um, working with with us, collaborating, so that we can we can help them um, with uh, rehabilitation of some ecosystems. Because of course, those countries are really big as well, so we cannot do everything. And um, so, Indonesia first, and we chose Bali. after talking actually with a lot of uh, stakeholders on the ground and at first we thought so many so many people are already you know um, involved and Bali must have been taken care of but no because the problem is so huge that um, even if there are uh, actions already um, more is needed and so um we are going to Bali with the uh, Mobula Eight, and uh, we hope that, that it's going to be, to be shipped fairly soon. Uh, as you know, there's a lot of um, issues with um, travel. The travel, but also uh, containers are um, in high demand, and the mm. supply is they getting low. And uh, so after the pandemic, everything is much more difficult to do. So we. There's some, um, you know, we wanted to ship it by hopefully before the end of this year. Potentially, it's going to still happen, but it's getting less and less. So, so early next, early uh, 2022, hopefully.
0: Sounds great to me. Uh, thank you for doing that. That sounds great. I've actually been to Bali and I've seen the the amount of plastic pollution over there, just yeah. on that one island in Indonesia. So that's very interesting to know. Um, Yeah, I want to speak a little bit about the uh, effective strategies to just fixing the plastic pollution in general, because it it would seem to me that we're doing these, uh, we're conducting these outrageous experiments, whether it be emitting billions of tons of carbon dioxide into our atmosphere to see what happens or emitting billions of micro micro particles of plastic into our biosphere to see what happens it's like we don't you you said you don't we don't know for sure if it's going to have negative consequences but i don't think there's even a reason to try and find out but i mean yet here we are and it's interesting how there's kind of two sides to the the climate and there's not two sides it's not that simple but there's we're emitting co2 and then we need to draw down co2 out of the atmosphere and we are creating plastic and then we're putting it into the biosphere into the environment. So I wanted to ask if you had any ideas on how we can kind of fix the the production side like what can we do is it just consumers need to use less plastic like is there any or can we stop it from entering the ocean somehow instead of just collecting it once it's in there?
1: Yeah, everything needs to be done, everything. So um of course, everybody is talking about what what we call ourselves even now consumers, what the consumers need to do, and um, yeah, reduction of plastic would be would be great, but um, I don't know if you tried without preparing yourself to do the uh, free plastic July. Um, I'd
0: be down. I'm working on going zero waste,
1: yeah. So one year I was like, oh yeah, free plastic dry, great. And so I didn't I didn't prepare at all. And I was like, maybe the second day I was like, no way I can do that. Because everything you touch almost is plastic. You go to the grocery store. If you're not prepared, and if you keep your life as usual, you cannot do it. It's it's I think it's impossible. So really you need you need to really think about. What what you do every day, where you go, to, you know, to um, to get your groceries and um, every every um, everything that you buy, you need to assess. So that's how I would I would uh, I would I, do it. And, I agree. Uh, you need an audit at first <laughs> to see where the issues the issues are on your own life, and then change that by knowing what the alternative is, right? And so, and that's, for me, that's what everybody, all of the uh, stakeholders in that supply chain need to, to, to do. So why not look at um, um, a product and see, okay, we build it that way, but is there a way to like the plastic bottle to really look into how we manufacture it so that in the end we can truly recycle it by collecting it. So, you know, like maybe there's a a fee in the end that, you know, if you bring whatever you consumed and is done, you bring it back, then you get something back so that you, you know, I I don't know, but uh, so there's that. And then of course, and most importantly, I think that um, the scientific community um, is working on identification, characterization, and uh, really other alternatives to that plastic, what can we do about it? So that then we can um, um, bring that information to policymakers. And those policymakers need then to regulate Um, the market uh, on how to do things especially if that is linked to what we consume and that means climate change and greenhouse gases and everything because plastic as most of uh, us know uh, most of it comes from um, oil and um, it's so cheap to produce that you know why not? And and people don't even think about uh, what they touch every day. Is a lot of the things we we do in our life, and what we touch is plastics. Like for example, clothing. A lot of what we wear is, um pla- is there is there are plastic fibers, and that those plastic fibers have actually been recycled from some plastics into fibers because it's one of the things we can do but then we all know that then when we wash the that uh, piece of clothes um it emits microplastic so it's a never-ending issue right yeah <laughs> and so so for for me for example and especially um after i came back to france right i only had uh Maybe ten percent of a container, not even with my stuff, right? Mostly was clothes, uh, books. I brought back a table because it looked cool, and <laughs> uh, and and you know other things. But I have nothing, right? So I needed everything to uh, to put in my apartment. So what do I do? I buy everything secondhand. Sometimes it's more expensive, but yeah, but it's durable you know, and then I try to have like that the kind of look in my apartment, right? So, um, and I do everything the same way for what I wear. I, I, I try to, to buy everything secondhand. Um, I, I find it beautiful to be honest uh, with you because you know, it's something that you can love again and um, that's great, but not everybody can do that either. You know, you you don't uh, you don't have the the money potentially because that can be also uh, expensive depending on what you wear and and want to want to wear. But um, because fashion is so cheap, it's made uh, very fast. Um,
0: it's the worst.
1: It's the worst. And, it's a huge and polluter.
0: Now,
1: yes, and so now you 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 know you you see. Um, those massive um, patches of plastic everywhere in the world. But now you, everybody saw that too. Is those images of clothing everywhere, because we produce so much. Some people they wear something once or twice, and then the season change. You know, it's not the same color, and, and so they they follow the fashion industry. And I don't wear it anymore. Why? You know this. This is this has this maybe is like twenty years old. <laughs> you know why not? I don't care, right? And uh, it's still great. Um, so it's looking into what we do every day. How can we change our life? But it's not only that. It's also potentially by your vote uh, get uh, regulation changed because you want certain issue um, looked at, um, you know, calling your um, your representatives and things. And and also, of course, there's all of these big treaties and and else that um, the United Nations is putting together. And we, we just had the COP26 uh, not too long ago. So there's a lot of work to be done. And um, hopefully we can uh, all work together so that we can do something against it.
0: What are your thoughts on COP26? I know that you were there.
1: Yeah, I was there. And um, it I've never been to a conference that was so over, overwhelming. <laughs> uh, I wasn't very prepared for it, actually. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> because... It was really hard to know where to go because there was so much going on all at once, and everything was so interesting. Um, I, I didn't, I, I, didn't have, you know, the the cool um, badge that could uh, lead me into the negotiation table, and you know, mm-hmm. listen to that. That could have been cool too, but, and um, so I was, um, I was in the zone for the, you know, the 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 public, and. Um, so that that was really great to be there, but at the same time, it was sad because there was so much hope uh, with the COP26. And I think it didn't it, it it didn't produce in the end. But I think that having people to understand that um, you know, first of all, it actually accomplished something that it was in the forefront of everything for so long and so people talked about it right and people talked about what the goal was uh, to you know keep temperature temperature rise under 1.5 and we're not there
0: it's not gonna happen
1: it's not going to happen and with the um ipcc uh, report as well you know we all well those who uh are informed or listened? You know,
0: yeah. The IPCC report's pretty startling.
1: Yeah, and for once they use strong language, right? Mm-hmm. And we can see that not much is happening still, and so what? So mitigation is not enough anymore, and so we need to think about adaptation. And so, because let's face it, we're, it's already there. We saw like in the last two years with all of the fires and the flooding, it, it's there. And so what can we do about it? And what can we do in our daily life to try to adapt to it? That's a big question, right? Yeah. Because we don't know uh, which, when it's going to be at your doorstep. Tomorrow, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so who who knew that we would see those images uh, with the metro in New York this year? That was pre- pretty crazy. Um, so so the COP twenty six, I think, helped to 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 show people that maybe the leaders, some of them, those countries that are the most burdened with it, are mostly doing a lot. And, and those who have a lot to burn and to, you know, um, um, to do with the pollution that um, is around us continue to, uh, do, to pollute. And so why? Because of the lobbyists, right? And because of um, interests in, of the, those big companies that they don't want to lose uh, their income and their money. Right? And so, but it's so short, um, so, ch- so short-sighted. And so what can we do as a, as individual is what I just said, right? It's um, try to potentially live um, more, uh, with more humility, uh, do a little less, uh, why is that bad? Um, I think that with, um, with, um, the pandemic, a lot of us, um, questions our own lives, right? I came back to France, for example, uh, to be closer to my family because I, I, I saw that what I was doing was not sustainable because I was all by myself in the U.S. And at some point that. That was not my goal in the end. And so what can we do so that we live more um, with more humility, maybe more peace? Uh, Because I think that, as I said, the pandemic showed us that while um, going um, full speed all the time is great, we actually also rested a little bit, and we thought about, wait a minute, why am I doing all of that? And and family became a little bit more important for those who actually have, um, um, you know, the the joy of having a family that is around or uh, um, how to say that um, uh, supporting them, you know, so. So there's that, and then and then of course there's um, looking into what can be done uh, with all of the um, international treaties, as I said, to be able to um, get the, the 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 ball rolling, so that we can fight that. Um, that uh, plastic pollution and um, really cumbersome waste that is all around us. So what can we do for that Um, is maybe think about what Margaret Mead said. Uh, You know, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. join a group around you, you, um, uh, see what can be done, be generous with uh, your neighbor, uh, look around. It's not much, but I think that the more we we become a community, the better it is to be able to actually turn things around because the more we are uh, united together at the base, Maybe we will have a little bit more py- power against um, those in power because maybe we don't have the money, but we're numerous.
0: Absolutely. No, but I, I disagree with you. It, it is much. Every single decision that you make every single day makes a huge difference. And what I want, I want to respond to what you said about COP26 and how there's this idea of these global leaders get together and have this big meeting and debate. And you spoke about how. Um, you didn't get the cool badge to go in and, and be with the cool leaders. But I think you're the cool leader. And I, and I like talking to people like you. And that's why I have this podcast. And there's this idea of I need to get these prolific guests to grow my audience and people who know lots of people are these big leaders. But I really like talking to people who are dedicating their lives to doing work that helps other people. And that's what I love about this show. And that's what I love about what you're doing. So I'm not impressed by Joe Biden or the pres- or whatever the president of other countries are doing. First off, their job is impossible. It's never, Someone's going to hate them no matter what. Um, yeah. Of course, we call them public servants. We call them leaders. But I'm personally impressed by someone like you who gets involved with a project that they're passionate about. And specifically because you want to create a net policy Positive Good for the world. Not saying that our leaders don't do that, but a lot of them are certainly motivated more by paychecks or re-election than anything else. And I truly believe that anyone listening to this podcast can find their passion and get involved in a project that will make a difference, whether it's building cohesion on the ground or building a technological system that will change the world. We sure there are some presidents that are very charismatic that we remember in this country, but some of the best leaders from around the world, Martin Luther King, Gandhi, these guys weren't elected officials. They were people on the ground. They, they would have conversations with people. They would make speeches and inspire people not to try and get votes, but to try and make change in the world. So th- I'm not, yeah, I'm not like, a, I don't want to like put down a political leaders too much, but people know if you listen to this show that I'm much more interested in the private sector. And, and that's because anyone can get involved and you just need to get the work going and create the system. And if, if everyone around you likes it, I, I don't know that, that that's my response. So I, I, I appreciate you. That's all I want to say.
1: <laughs> Thank you. And actually I wanted to say something about that. Um, you know, the scientists are, um, doing their studies and everything, but they rely more and more also on citizen science. you know it's something that is really important, especially then when those um, issues that we're confronted with are so huge, and they affect all um, cost lines everywhere. Um, everything, the data that is uh, collected every year uh, for cleanups and things those are um, actually used by scientists in the end and they they can characterize, identify, really understand the problem way more than what they would be able to do all by themselves. Because the scientific community is, is rather small for plastic pollution still, right? And so, and so um, we, we know citizen scientists with, you know, the birders are looking at every year they count the birds. Well, now that every year we count plastic as well, right? And so uh. this is amazing because we can know where the plastic is, where it's coming from, the audit of brands. And, and so that can really help. Locally uh, to be able to understand what kind of infrastructure is needed to uh, to to combat that flow down the the drain, but also nationally, then regionally and finally internationally by all working together.
0: Right. Very interesting. Yeah, no, I just really want to drive the point home. I I really think like people get really lost in this yeah. mess of information and of all these challenges and can kind of, like you said, just kind of back down. But I really feel like if you're looking, if you're in that stage of life where you're looking for a job and you want to have a great career, there's so many opportunities to do good in the world, whether it's in the for-profit or non-profit space. And I think people can just, if you want purpose in your life, find a mission and join on. Like, reach out to reach out to the sea cleaners or anyone else. Um, there's so many amazing projects going on and you can make a, a huge impact just through your own personal actions. So Gwen, thank, thank you so much for joining me today. I just want to ask at the end, if you have any advice for uh, young people who are passionate about science, kind of just entering the, the the workforce.
1: Yeah, keep doing it. Keep, uh, you know, the world needs you. And um, there are so many uh, great op- Great actions put together by young people. Like we work with um, an organization called Bye Bye Plastic Bags in Indonesia, and um, and there are so many more all around the world on um, everything from human rights to uh, women issues to plastic pollution to uh, immigration um, and saving them. Uh, you know, um, in the Mediterranean, for example. So really believe in the work you do and even though sometimes there's conflict you know there's always conflict between human beings and organizations and stuff like just look at the mission and um but also don't don't forget to take care of yourself because even me sometimes i don't do it so um it's it's really hard um sometimes because it's so overwhelming but keep the the world going. Keep, you know, looking at what you want to accomplish and the, the good you bring to the world and your smile.
0: I love it. And uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me again. Thank you really. Yeah.
0: No worries. All right, everybody. See you soon. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Changing the Climate. Here at Climate Change Realty, we don't just donate 50% of our net commissions to fight climate change. We also donate a full 50% of our real estate referrals. So if you or anyone else you know is looking to buy or sell a home anywhere in the USA and would like to create thousands of dollars in donations without any cost out of pocket, please visit ccrboulder.com today.